have any, any cougs in the house? Yeah, we got a few, come on. Yeah, just a few. Wow, all that power behind you. <laughs> Woo! <laughs> we do have a campus Sunday coming up where we get to celebrate our campus. So yeah, you want to come. Wear your alma mater, wherever crazy school you went to, and uh, we love to celebrate. It's going to be a fun, fun time coming up. So, hey, if you're new with us, my name is Chris Pate. I'm the lead pastor here and very, very happy to be back with you. Uh, I was back last week, but before that, I was in Israel a couple, of, a couple of weeks with my wife doing a biblical study tour and learning some things, which you too could be a part of if you're interested, as well as uh, doing a mission trip. We got to go to Baja, California and do awesome mission trips with 10 Days, which is uh, Every Nation Organization. Which, which is what our church is a part of, Every Nation Ministries. We're a global organization of churches that are passionate about world missions and church planning and campus ministry. So if you want to know more about that, you can check us out. And I'm going to talk more about that at the end of the message. Also, if you're new or it's just been a while or maybe you've had a long week like some of you, um, uh, we want to remind you what we're doing here. And that's our series right now, our No Perfect People Allowed. And we're going through, we've been going through kind of chapter by chapter, uh, the book of First Corinthians. And we say a book, but really it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Corinth, the church that he spent about 18 months of his life starting from the ground up, seeing people get saved and, and get filled with the Spirit. And, and this church became a church that was really wrecked, that needed a lot of help. And, and, and Paul, specifically, we don't have all of the letters, but we can infer a lot from his letter that they had written Paul and talked to him and said, hey, we have some issues up in here, and we need some help from our founder. We need somebody to encourage us and help us. How many of you guys have those phone calls with your mom or your dad or your family member, and someone says, hey, have you heard about your cousin? Hey, you know about your sister, you need to pray for her, right? And then it gossip, not prayer requests, right? And you, we all have been there and we've been in those family environments or on the phone where we know someone's saying, hey, there's some issues you need to maybe intercede, come involved, pray about it, whatever it is. Well, this is what's happening with Paul. And Paul receives some information about this church at Corinth and he's writing back in this letter in 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, he's writing back, rebuking them, correcting them, encouraging them, instructing them, and all of the things in between. It's so important to go through these kind of books because I don't know if you've been a Christian for a long time or maybe you haven't, but th there's kind of this idea that, man, the church would just be great if we just went back to like the first church, how the first church was. And, and I agree in some respects, especially the heart behind the passion and what God was doing. But that first church was as messed up as any church you can think of today. They had everything going on. I mean, they had problems. Some of you guys are like, uh-huh, I've been here a lot of weeks. You've seen the kind of stuff that they've struggled with. We've never had people drunk in communion. Of course, we give you grape juice. If you get drunk on that, you got low tolerance. We got to really talk. Or maybe it's been sitting around way too long and we need to apologize. Um, pump your stomach or something. But these are the kind of things. They just have all of these issues they're constantly having with the church. And Paul's having to instruct and talk about this. The last several weeks, we've been talking about the gifts of the Spirit. Paul talks about the gifts starting in, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He goes into love. Last week, we talked about tongues and prophecy. This week, we would typically go into chapter 15 
Um, but I'm skipping to 16 because next week we have a special guest, REA Bar David. He is uh, one of the first Messianic Jews in Israel. He was our tour guide for our Israel trip. We've had about 30 people go and do that Bible study tour. It's not just a, it's not just a sightseeing tour. I mean, you open the Bible and this is what Jesus is pointing at and here's the archaeology and it's just an amazing, amazing tour. Well, he's going to be here and he is going to preach next week. So we're super excited about that, especially those of you that know him. So I gave him 1 Corinthians 15. It's a little easier. And I'm jumping into 1 Corinthians chapter 16, which has a lot of like closing remarks and greetings. But the first four verses I want to hone in on today as we talk about not just gifts and prophecy or love or trying to bring correction or conflict management like what Paul has, has dealt with, people getting drunk, people kissing their stepmom. Yes, that's in there. Like those types of things we've been dealing with as we go through 1 Corinthians. We're today going to talk about not, not a particular fun subject I love to talk about, but one that is needed and helpful, and that is money and finances. So, I know a lot of you are excited about that. Everybody loves a good money talk. Everybody loves, like, this is why I come to church, so I can hear about money. But it's interesting about money. Here's my, my phone slash wallet. I keep my stuff together, otherwise I'll lose it. And uh, we all have one of these, debit card. Maybe your Bank of America, I wouldn't necessarily recommend them, but that's, that's, that's me. Um, maybe you have, like, a, I've got a Costco card here. It's pretty good. A Best Buy, that's a good one. Um, Home Depot, any men? Yeah. Okay, well, woo. All right. If you're a man, you say, whoa. You don't say, woo. Um, no offense, but we'll, we'll have a man talk later. Just kidding. But we all have a wallet. We all have money, depending on how much money you make or how much you have the in, in the account today. You just hear about debit card, and some of you guys are like, oh, geez. And your first thought is college loans, maybe, um, or planning your kids. You have a lot of kids like me, and you're trying to think, how am I going to do this and pay for all the things that they need? Um, we have this money conversation in our head constantly. Jesus actually gives us a barometer for money. And how it really says a lot about who we are. And this is convicting to me and it's probably convicting to us all. Here's what Jesus would say about money. He says, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Isn't that so encouraging? Most of us hear that and we go, oh gosh. You know, I hear people say a lot, man, I just have a really good heart. Or that person has a really good heart. Jesus says the way you know how a person's heart is, is based on their treasure, what they do with their finances. So in essence, this is what he's saying. He said, I can see the core of who you are. I can see your passions and what you're passionate about and what your favorite things. Like I can see the very core of your life if I just look at your bank account. And all of us said, thank you, Jesus. Maybe not. Maybe not. And, and, and I know a, a lot of people, and we're talking percentages and stuff like that. Maybe you look in your bank account and see, man, you really care about your family. You're taking care of them. You really care about savings. Or you really care about stuff. Or you really care about the poor and, the, and those, those that are marginalized. And th this is what you care about based on your finances. And Jesus is just very strong and profound with this concept, with what I'm holding in my hand today. Well, Paul's going to talk about this concept of generosity, this concept of giving. And he's talking to this church because, again, he's tackled them on many subjects and, and encouraged them and instructed them and rebuked them. But today he's also going to do the same as we dive in. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 
1 through 4, here's what it says. Check it out. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. So, so we're walking right into this conversation and we see he's talking about collecting some sort of money and taking it to Jerusalem. And if, if you don't know kind of what's going on, it's hard to build context and we just kind of move on. It's easy to just kind of read the Bible really quick or read these letters really quick. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background. And the, the first thing you need to know is when we're reading the letters, specifically of Paul and, and some of the scripture, but it's specifically the letters that Paul is writing and uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, 1st Thess- Thessalonians. Like these are letters that he wrote to churches to instruct again and to help them. Here's the problem. We're only getting like one side of it. So we're trying to kind of make sense of what is probably happening. And you know how this is. If you've ever been in a car like uh, with your spouse and, 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 and they're driving or maybe with a friend and they get a phone call and it doesn't go through the loudspeaker, but it just goes straight and, and they're talking on their phone. And uh, you're trying to figure out who they're talking to. And, and maybe you've done this like, who is it? Who is it? Who are you talking to? Because you're hearing things that they're saying and it sounds interesting, but you're trying to put things together because you're only getting one side of the conversation. So you're going, what is it that they're trying to say? And depending on, maybe, maybe they're just really in it and they're not gonna say who, who they're talking to or what I'll do to my wife, I'll just like show her and she'll see. It's your mom, you know, so okay. Uh, I'm saying I love you. It's my mom, I promise, right? Like really encourage her and help her know the context behind what I'm trying to talk about. And you can maybe even try to put together a little bit of sentences. Okay, I know from what has happened before, we've been talking about this. I know he's talking to his best friend or whatever. Maybe depending on how snarky they are, oh, he is talking to his mom or dad or whatever. Like you're getting kind of gather information by just hearing one side of the story. Well, this is what happens in these letters. And what is happening is we're hearing one side of the story that Paul is trying to collect some money to go to Jerusalem. But we don't really know all why. Now, we're going to get in 2 Corinthians here in a second because we're going to see kind of in the second letter he sent a little bit more what happened. But here's the great thing about Scripture is that we're only getting one side, but we're also able to gather some information based on the time when the letter was written around the time and based on history. And there's this great Jewish historian named Josephus, and he wrote this thing called the, the, the antiquities of the Jews. And in that, you can actually see so much history from, from Old Testament and New Testament and hear about what has happened along the way because he is a historian. Now, the Bible has books and letters of history. So-and-so went here at this time and at this date while this person was king. And those are historical. And that really helps. And it's a lot of good information. And then we have historians that gave us a lot more information to give us that context to know what's going on. And what's fascinating about someone like Josephus, and this was really cool going to Israel 
is you're able to actually look and go to places like Masada or you're going to places like you're seeing the temple or you're going to Tel Megiddo and where Solomon had all of these hundreds and hundreds and thousands of horses and chariots and you're going to these places and you're hearing these stories of archaeologists not that were Bible scholars, but they use the Bible and they use the historian Josephus and they're able to go to a mountain in a tell and they're able to say, this is about where the scripture and Josephus said this location was. And if that's true, then they'll throw a rock. Okay, start digging there, start digging there. You'll find stables there. You'll find the gate there. And people are, they've been able over the past, I mean, 60 to 100 years, excavate so many amazing things to bring validity to the scripture. And it just creates this in you to go, man, this is real. This is crazy real. It's not just some story, but there's actual artifacts and history that we're finding to say, yes, the scripture is right. And every time people try to say, well, it's just made up, they'll find something else to say. Oh my gosh, they were right on that time, that king or that person. And it's just an amazing, amazing thing to be a part of and to see. And, and the other archaeologists would be amazed watching the person go, it's there, it's there, it's there. And they're going, how do you know? Because as they dig, they do, they find the remains of that era and what was happening down all the way down to Jesus's time 2,000 years ago. And they're just discovering more and more. In fact, if you go to Israel and you're a contractor, you're going to hate life. Um, because they've tried to like build parking lots in Jerusalem, but they start digging and they find a, 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 a site, a historical site, and then they have to stop, right? And they can't have a parking lot anymore. Now it's become this whole thing. And now it's become history. And so it'd be a horrible place. You try to do a water park. It ain't happening, right? It's just not happening, even though they should have one there because it's hot. So it's, it's just fascinating to see these stuff and be a part of it. What does that have to do with today? Well, we know from Josephus Flavius, who wrote these book of antiquities, this Jewish historian, and he did a fantastic job. We know from his writings that we have a lot of amazing things that were happening. We know at that time there was a, a famine in the land that had occurred. And so what Paul is making reference to, and it's actually in scripture, and it's fascinating, the things you start to see. I'm going to show you in Acts chapter 11, verse 27 through 28, speaking last week, we talked about the prophetic and how that's used in the church. Check this out. It was used and it's backed up historically. And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch. Then one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, which Josephus writes about, shows historical context. And you've got this, this idea that a, a prophet speaks out and says, God told me there's going to be a famine, so we need to prepare the churches to save up and, and do what's right and be ready. Well, history proves to be true. If you know anything about Christianity, it didn't start in Bethlehem. It didn't start in Nazareth, north uh, of Jerusalem. It actually began in Jerusalem. Because when Jesus died and was crucified there in Jerusalem, outside of the temple, 
Some 50 days afterwards, he ascends and the church begins with 3,000 people getting saved in the book of Acts chapter two. And Jerusalem becomes like the hub with thousands and thousands of people. Imagine like a, a, just a gigantic church being started in Jerusalem. And it becomes the hub of Christianity where people are sent out to go tell more about Christ all over. And that's where Paul, Paul ends up going and, and all of them start getting sent out. But they end up about 20 years later in a city called Antioch, which is a couple hundred miles north of Jerusalem. So now they're in Antioch and Antioch becomes the hub and it's more of a Gentile area. So it came from a, a Jewish religion. Jesus expanded and said, this is for all. Now the Gentiles start getting saved and Antioch becomes the hub where people are being sent out of. Paul goes to Corinth and Galatia and all of these places in Asia Minor, starts these churches and does just th this incredible job of beginning the journey of telling people about Jesus. Well, what we see in history and then what we see prophetically and later what is happening contextually is Jerusalem has one of the worst famines in history. And they can't even get enough food to take care of all these thousands of people and their church members, much less their city. And they're struggling greatly. Well, there's other places like Corinth, a port city with a lot of money and should be very generous. Paul is going around and going to each place and each church and he's asking them, hey, we need to help our brothers, our Jewish brothers out because they are starving and they're struggling. And so let's collect money all around Asia Minor, all of these churches. And I want to, I want to kind of do a little campaign, not for myself, not so I can get a new donkey, but for these people so they can eat and help them. Let's raise up some money in all of the churches. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get a representative from each church. We're going to have money and then we're going to go back and we're going to bless the church in Jerusalem. And imagine if you're a church and you're struggling to not only pay the bills, but the people are struggling. Everybody is struggling just to eat. And then these Gentiles who says, I am your brother and your sister, and I'm going to care about my brothers and sisters. I'm going to come and I'm going to lay at your feet this money to help you guys during this time. How much encouragement would that bring you? How many of you guys have been down and out and struggled and someone came and encouraged you and gave you a gift or helped you? I, I remember uh, when me and Casey were first in ministry and I mean, not making hardly any money because we got in ministry, not for money. And so we're, we're struggling and we don't have hardly any money in our bank accounts. And one of our elders and his wife just come to us, give us $100 cash and said, we want you just to bless you guys. And it just, I was like, God, thank you so much. Like, it was amazing just to be able to say, hey, we love you. And that feeling is, there's nothing, there, there's only one thing like it, and that's the feeling of being gifted by Christ. And I'm telling you, being able to have somebody that says, I don't have to care for you and your needs, but I choose to do it. Your burden now becomes mine. And this is what the church has agreed to do. The church in Corinth said, yes, sign us up. We're going to collect. And in a, in a year, Paul's going to come back. We're going to give him that money, and he's going to go to Jerusalem. So this is what is happening in the context and, and what Paul is venturing to do. Now, bring us into, we see this in 1 Corinthians, bring us into 2 Corinthians, a little Bible study here. We're going to hear and we're going to eavesdrop in on some of the challenges that Paul's having because Paul is hearing, they initially said, yes, we're going to raise money to help everybody. And they either forgot or just stopped. 
And so Paul in 2 Corinthians, from this 1 Corinthians, is having to say, hey guys, uh, so you're not doing what you said you're going to do. And they're struggling. And you guys are rich and abundant and you're not helping them. Imagine the conflict in what you would have to do in this, in this time. If you've ever had to bring correction to an employee or management or, or, or something like that, and you're having to come in and say, hey, how do you go about bringing that correction? Notice, and we're going to look in here, how Paul responds to them, what he says and what he doesn't say when he's trying to come in and bring correction. One of the main thing I want you to notice as we get into this in the last part here is the word he uses more times in chapter 8 of 2 Corinthians and 9 than in all of his letters combined. And it's the word grace. The word grace in Greek is charis. Anybody have any friends named Kara, Charis, something like that? The Greek is Charis, which is grace. And grace means this, an unearned, unearned, and you got to hold on that, unearned gift, favor, blessing, and or kindness. This word grace, is, it, it, it's not like someone who says, hey, uh, I got you a gift for your birthday. You should get me one for my birthday. Like I said happy birthday on your Facebook wall. You never said it on my Facebook wall. Like, it's not that grace is unearned. It's something that I, I didn't earn. I didn't, I didn't have to do anything to get. And yet you gave it to me. You handed it over to me and freely did it. This word is the root of not only a gift or material, financial, but it also comes out in the word forgiveness. This concept of someone who has wronged you or hurt you, maybe a family member or a friend that has done something really wrong and they don't deserve, they've not earned your forgiveness. And yet, because of the gift of grace that you've received from Christ, you freely give forgiveness to them and love them and choose to bless them and not curse them and say good things and not just gossip and bad things. This idea of charis, or charis is an amazing, amazing word. And I want you to see it in this chapter. Look at this, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1. Notice what Paul says and what he doesn't say. We want you to know, brothers, about the charis, the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So stop here. He says, he doesn't come in and say, hey, I'm Paul. I started this thing. Y'all give, right? He doesn't usurp his authority and bring his rightful heir to be able to do that and just strong arm them. He doesn't manipulate and discourage them and say, why in the world? What's going on? You lied. He doesn't call them names and call them out in that respect. Here's what he's going to do. He's going to share two stories with them, two testimonies. And the first one is about the church in Macedonia. Look what he says, verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. He says this, let me tell you a story about a church. The church you know well of in Macedonia, you know they don't have a lot of money. They're struggling and they're afflicted. And he says this, severe hardship 
plus extreme poverty typically equals indifference. I can't help you. I can't do anything. But see, you add the gospel in someone's heart and the gift of grace given to someone. Here's what he says. In, in the kingdom, in the gospel reality, ex- severe hardship, extreme poverty, plus joy equals rich generosity. And this is what the gospel does to our hearts when it comes to giving. Look what he says here in verse 3. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. Check this out, verse 4. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Now pay attention to what he's saying here. He said, we had no expectation of this church to do anything because they didn't have anything to give. In fact, they themselves were struggling as a people and as a church, and yet they came to us. Well, our expectation was, hey, y'all take care of yourself. You're struggling. Anybody know anybody who's ever struggled or maybe in your life you've struggled? The idea naturally for us is I'm the victim. I'm the one that needs help. I'm not going to give. But see, in a kingdom reality, and when the gospel permeates and is central in your heart, you're looking for ways to give. And this is what he says. I wasn't expecting. I wasn't putting that on them. And yet they begged us to be a part. And you got to notice of this grace, of this gift, because it's better to give than to receive according to their life and their heart. He said, I would never put that on them. And yet they begged us because they wanted to be a part of helping someone else. That's called gospel transformation. That's something happening from the inside out that is different than just, I go to church, I try to smile every once in a while. I actually use my blinker, which please do that. And on top of that, all of my life is not compartmentalized where God has this and I'm the rest, but it's all central on Jesus. And I've freely been given, so I freely give. And I want to be a part of giving. What an amazing testimony. He continues and he says this, verse 6. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of charis, grace, of this gift. Freely, unearned, unmerited Blessing gift. And so what he's saying is, I sent Titus, I sent this guy, and he was talking to you guys about giving. He says, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. He's saying, listen, I know you're trying to grow and be a better person and and get fit and do CrossFit and be really smart and watch everything that you can get a hold of to gain knowledge and be a better person. Like excel in all those things. That's awesome. But don't stop and forget about excelling in the gift of giving and the gift of being able to offer of your talent, yes, but also your treasure as well. It's so quiet. Because I, I know you're waiting for me to ask you for a lot of money, which I'm not. So get ready. 
I need a new helicopter. Jesus, no, that's not, you're, you're in the wrong church. That's, there are churches like that. We're not that church. Here's the deal. When I was, uh, when I was young in, in college, I was dating, dating my wife. I, I met Casey, my wife, redhead up here singing, uh, if you're new. Uh, we met when we were nine years old. Um, and she grew up being a dancer and she won national competitions for tap. Uh, and so she's really, really great dancer. And so she's up talent show. I remember talent show, fourth grade talent shows. Yeah, you know, doing her tap thing. And, and I'm fourth grade. She will be mine. <laughs> oh yes, she will be mine. I mean, I mean, fourth grade. I remember I'm 12 years old and I told her I'm going to marry her 12 years old. True story. So I'm a prophet like Agabus. So ask me anything. I'll help you up. Long, long story short, we end up in college, and, and it's, I, I know it's time, I, like, like we feel like, okay, God's doing something, and, and, it, and it's time. Even our parents are like, yeah, you know, you guys are, uh, you know, you might as well start planning to get married. And, and we, of course, we were kind of stupid, young, dumb, and uh, we're looking through, like, wedding books and magazines and stuff like that, like you do. Um, and, and I was mostly placating to her. And uh, she found this picture of a ring. She's like, oh my gosh, that's the ring I would want. Later, I took it, ripped it, put it in my wallet. For two years, I held on to it, two years. Through dating and a lot of trials and a lot of things through our life. And I'm waiting tables, going to college, not making a lot of money, but I know I want to marry this woman. Something in me, like my passion, and this, the word passion, you know, passionate people. But the word passion, like the passion of the Christ or of Christ, that means suffering, like willing to suffer for. Like you're so passionate, you'll, you'll suffer for anything. For me, I wanted to marry this woman so bad, and I was so in love that I was like, I'm going to do anything to get this ring. I'll do anything because I, be, I want to be ready. I want to be able to ask and I want to give her what she loves and what she wants. And I wasn't making a lot of money, so I'm, making, I'm doing double shifts. I'm doing whatever it takes so I could pay for this ring, give it to her. And that, that's what I did. And I proposed to her and, and we've been married 18 years now. Now, the church here in Macedonia is, is we're hearing about them saying, I don't have a lot to offer. But because of the love and generosity that has been poured out on me, I'll do whatever it takes to be a generous person, to be a generous church. Because I see a need, and I don't say, oh, that's your problem, I got my thing. But I say, you know what? Your burdens are now my burdens, and I'm gonna, we're going to do whatever it takes. And he says, they even exceeded what was above their means in order to give. And this is the first story he shares with them. Not to come in and say, you should, what are you doing? But to say, look, look at the people who first gave themselves to God and then to us. And let me tell you, Christianity is always that action. First, I give myself to God, but then I give myself to others. And my life is poured out for others as well. And if you don't understand that, you might not understand Christianity. It's about loving God and loving people and then proving it through your actions. Now, he continues and he says this, I say these things not as a command, verse eight, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. He says, I'm looking at the church of Macedonia and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying, hey, look at them, look at you, y'all are horrible. But he's saying, I know y'all have that same heart 
There's nothing like when someone's trying to help you or correct you. This will help you spouses. Let me help you. You're never going to change your husband or wife. You're not going to change them. You can't change them. I love how Paul doesn't, doesn't say, well, you should be more like that person. But he actually says, my goal is to say, I know you have this same heart in you. I believe the best in you. I married you because I know what's in you and what's good. And I'm calling that out. I'm calling that good out, maybe even prophetically, because I'm believing the best in you. And I know you have the same kind of genuine love. You know how much that can change a person? Way more, way more than you're a liar, you're a cheat, you're horrible. Now, if you don't know that about them and you, you, we need to talk, at least at some point, but it's amazing how he appeals to the grace of God and this gift in their life in order to say, this is the kind of person you are as well. And here's the second story he goes into. And it's the greatest story of all mankind, the story we try to tell constantly to ourselves and to you. And it's the story of the gospel. And he says this, verse nine. For you know, that word know, know by experience, the grace, here we are again, the chorus, the gift unearned of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake, he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. So now he uses the cross and resurrection and life of Jesus to help them understand even how finances work because it's a heart issue at the bottom. And here's what he says. Look at the person that you say is your Lord and your follower and your, your God. See, God's not on a throne going, worship me, look how awesome I am, come on, vote for me, I'm the one. That's not God. God says, I'm gonna write myself into their story. I'm gonna experience poverty. Jesus goes from being on a throne as a king, not having even 99 problems, not having any problems, and he's sitting here going, this is, this is great. But he says, I chose from my riches now to become poor. To the point, the scripture says, that while he's on the cross, God had to deny him because he didn't just take our sins. The Bible says he became sin. You talk the poorest of the poor. Not only was he born in like a manger around sheep poop and, and not in this great throne room where everybody's praising him, but amongst animals and stank and in a very poor Nazareth, 100 people, village, no, nothing to offer. And yet he went from the throne down to there. He became poor. And he said, just like Christ became poor, you know this, he became poor. Even though while he was rich, he sacrificed himself. He made his passion be about you and was willing to do anything so that you could become rich in his mercy and get the gift, the chorus, unearned. No one deserves it in this room, including myself. And it's out of that richness. He says, you know this, you know the story of the gospel. And let me tell you, it's the gospel story that is the most life-changing story in us. It's not enough just to get new information or a bunch of new things. And if that story, if that understanding of what God has done personally in you doesn't touch you every time you think about it, I think you need to make sure you're getting back to the right things in your life. 
because the story of what Christ has done in our life and in my life, he says, I'm not just gonna talk about this Macedonian church. Now I'm gonna talk about a personal story for you. And that's what Jesus has done in and through you. He says this, and in this matter, I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, you began raising funds, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well so that your readiness and desire again may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance, you guys have a lot, a lot of resources at the present time should supply their need so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness as it is written. Whoever gathered much had nothing left over. Whoever gathered little had no lack. I've seen people and I've experienced personally that are really rich and have a lot of money, but imprisoned by their wealth because they can't let go of anything. Like literally they walk in more fear than people that have nothing because they're bound by their stuff because their stuff has them, they don't have stuff. And I've seen rich be extremely greedy. And we can all attest to that and understand that. I've also seen Rich be extremely generous. Did you know Houston last, uh, two years ago, got voted the most generous city in the nation? Did you know that? For the amount of philanthropy and the things that we do in the city, it's an amazing generous city. I've also seen poor people that even the little they had, they weren't willing to let go or they're just, just victims because it's all the other people that oppress me. But listen, I've also seen poor people that are extremely giving with their resources. And this is what Paul says. It's not about how much you have because greed can get you no matter where you are. It's ultimately about what has you. And if Christ has you and his chorus is in you, you will look for ways to be generous no matter what. In our church, we are so, so generous. Like the beautiful thing about being able to talk about money here, so if you're new and you're like, ah, eh, it's a money talk, I, we're not gonna pass the plate. I've never, had to, I've never had to get up in this church and say, pass it again, we gotta make the bills, right? I've never had to do that. I've been to churches where you do that. And I've never had to praise God because we're very generous. We don't have a lot of millionaires. It's just really every, everybody helps out. Many hands make a light load. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to see the generosity. It's one of our values. In fact, I, I'll, I'll let you know, I was looking over our books just to make sure I was accurate. And, and just in the past 365 days, we've given over $200,000 to Every Nation, Missions, Harvey Relief, and Benevolence. Over $200,000. You should clap for that. Like, that's good. Yeah. We, we've been able to use the resources that we have and the abundance that we have to be able to bless and help others. We've been in, at this point, over a hundred homes, mucking out homes, helping in disaster relief. We're continuing monthly to do it. Like we're passionate about the poor and the, and the marginalized and we wanna help and, and we can always do better. And that's what we want to excel in and get better in. And so my plea today isn't, hey, we've, we're not, we can't pay the bill. We're paying the bills, thank you. Can I, I just say thank you is showing and, and I'm amazed. It's awesome. I do want to though challenge you today to excel in giving by doing one ask and has nothing to do with us but everything to do with our Every Nation family. 
out of a generous people and who we are, we are, if you could pull the slide up here, we are venturing this new initiative that Every Nation, we're part of a global organization called Every Nation with uh, in almost 80 countries now and moving and seeing amazing things. We're doing this initiative called Serve the World. Now we have a, we have a, a world conference coming up next summer, 2019, in Orlando, Florida. We want to invite everybody to come, especially our leaders. We want you to come. There's nothing like, let me tell you, being in a conference in a room full of, of people in over 70 different countries, worshiping the Lord together. In fact, every nation, our organization is in the Guinness World Book of World Records for the most different languages and eth- ethnicities, singing Amazing Grace in the same place. I mean, it's kind of a cool little thing. It's part of our diversity. It's part of who we are. And serving the world, our our campaign here is we want to give, especially those marginalized pastors, campus ministers all around the world that don't have enough money and are struggling to do what they need to do, to be able to come here and be encouraged and get some words and just feel a part of our spiritual family, to be able to come here and be blessed, especially those leaders. And so we're choosing 500 leaders from around the world that are in the most need to be able to come and need to be encouraged. You guys know how much it's how good it is to be encouraged by your brothers and sisters and people in the midst of trials in your nation I mean some of the nations we're in the the percentage of Christianity is like 0.5 percent I mean it's just rough and so for them to to come get refreshed and for us to serve them this is what we're trying to do 500 individuals at about a thousand dollars each not us alone but all of our churches in North America this is our initiative let me show you a video um, from our world conference it's just a quick video a couple videos from our world conference in South Africa from 2016 Uh, you'll get an idea of what our world conference looks like as well as some more information about serve the world check this out My name is Jonathan Balan Solomon and I'm the campus and missions pastor of Every Nation Church Malaysia. Malaysia is about 30 million people. About 60% are Muslim, about 15 to 20 are Buddhist and then you have a little bit of Hindu and you have others. What made me decide to follow Jesus was I was working in advertising and I was a creative at the time and God just spoke to me and he said that hey it's time. And I asked God, like, oh, it's time for what? He didn't answer me immediately, but it was prayer and fasting season at our church. It's early January, you know. And I remember God speaking through Isaiah 6, the one that says, you know, who will go for us? And Isaiah replied, here I am, send me. I felt like God was calling me into full time, calling me to be a missionary. Before I answered the call, 
We didn't have a missions department. It had been years before the last time we sent a team out to bless another nation. When I went to the School of World Missions, I came back, I felt like, man, that's the thing that God has called me here to do. That's one thing that we changed dramatically, you know, since I joined the call in the church. We sent at least two teams out a year. You know, we've, we've gone to China, we've gone to Nepal, we've gone to India, we've gone to Pakistan. And to see not only how the people that we reach in those nations, but to see what it does for our people in the church, to see their life change, to see them uh, not only evangelize in the nation, but to be here as well and see them grow as leaders. Man, it's been amazing uh, to be able to mobilize Malaysians out into the world. You know, I've had so much joy in the past few years since I joined uh, full-time just to reach out to campus students, spending time with them, investing my life in them. And you know, to see this year, we finally raised our first full-time campus missionary. You know, that's, that's a milestone for us as a, as a church to see someone also to answer and to kind of follow in my footsteps to become a, a full-time campus missionary. Uh, that's, that's amazing for us. And we're so excited to see what God has in store for our church. Our churches around the world seeing God move and doing amazing, amazing things. We want to kind of help them be a part of what we're doing. So here's what we're asking. We're not, we're not doing a huge ask, but we have on, if you look on our app, um, you can pull up our app or you can look on our website. We have a giving page. Um, we would encourage you, if you go there, we're asking if everybody can give, especially our members really is the main thing we're, we're really pushing. Um, but if you'd like, we'd love to. But if everybody, especially our members could give 20 bucks, we're gonna do it, my family's gonna do it. If everybody can give 20 bucks, we can help encourage and raise money to be able to bring some of these people in. And this is the ask. And you might say, well, this is frivolous. There's a lot, of, well, we do a lot of things. We're continuing to give money, uh, missions to the poor, to the down, but this is to encourage our Evernation family and to say, hey, we love you. Um, wherever you are. And so we really want to encourage you. When it comes to giving, if it doesn't hurt a little bit, you might not be given enough. So it's not even just about a percentage. It's about the level of, of sacrifice we're willing to give. One of my favorite authors, that's what C.S. Lewis says. He says, if it, doesn't, if it doesn't sting a little bit, you're probably not doing enough. And so I know me, every time, every time I tithe, write my tithe here, because I do tithe as well. I, I'm not only the president, I'm a member of the Hair Club for Men. And so for me, like every time, every time I get, I'm like, okay, I, I could save this for college and for my kids, but you know what? It's not mine anyway. I'm trusting the Lord. This is, it, it might sting a little bit, but this is what I'm going to do. And so I want to encourage you, if you can, help us give. And, and I promise you, I, I love uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, as Paul ends, I love how he ends some of this kind of soliloquy of giving. He says this, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So we're not going to pass the plate today. If you want to give cash or check, you could go to City Life Central and talk to one of our staff, but we're not going to pass the plate again and do all that. We're going to put it in your hands, pray about it. We would love for you to help us with this out of the generosity that flows in our heart. How can we help the nations and the world and continue to help as we have? And Paul appeals to a farmer. The more opportunity you have, the more seed. You might be a farmer and you're like, I need to plant some more seed. Well, yeah, you do. You need to if you want more, you're going to have to plan a little bit more. And it, it is in context with giving here. And the biggest thing, again, is not under compulsion, but really out of a heart, just like the Macedonians, just like Paul appealed to, to the church in Corinth. Let it be out of a generous heart because of what Christ 
has freely given you. We're willing to freely give. Why don't you stand to your feet and we're gonna close and pray together. Father, we right now just ask for, God, our hearts to be right, our hearts to be full of your grace, your chorus. Lord, the same gift that you gave us in Christ Jesus, Lord, let that penetrate, Lord, everything we do, that we become and we are a giving people with our time, with our talents, with our treasure. Lord, with all that we are, Lord, that we don't compartmentalize our life into this section or this hour, but God, you literally are central. And we're led by your spirit, God, to be responsible in our society, Father. We love you. God, we thank you. We're encouraged by you. Just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I really do want to encourage you that it is powerful. When you give of yourself, finances, whatever it is, giving is such a powerful tool because it opens up. It really does. And I think some of us say, God, give me this, give me this. I need this. And we all have kind of our prayers and the things we need. And yet I think sometimes God's going, I can't give you anymore because you're, you're clogged up. You're not a conduit. It's, it's going to you. It's not going through you. And there's some people in here, I mean, I, I think we need emotional healing and physical healing and we're believing things, but God's saying, are you willing to give? You need prayer, are you praying for someone? You need finances, are you, are you giving out of a heart of abundance? You need help, are you also giving to others and not just receiving yourself? Because that's how our God operates. So I wanna encourage you today, no matter what, for you to leave today, to say, God, I wanna give more to you as I trust you more with what you've given me. That's my prayer in my heart, God. So I just pray that you set that in us, challenge us, and encourage us. In Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna...